Welcome to The Conscious Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Alex Raymond. This is the only podcast that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. Now, I know that being an entrepreneur is a long journey and it can be really tough. So on this show, we won't be sharing generic hero stories or talking about mythical unicorns. Instead, we'll get straight to the heart of what matters most, giving you tools and resources to grow, thrive, and succeed as an entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with incredible founders, CEOs, coaches, and authors to help you be more resilient and inspired as you build the business of your dreams. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Conscious Entrepreneur. My guest today is Lizelle Van Buren. She's a force in the Denver startup community and has done lots of interesting things that you're going to love hearing about. She's the founder of Women Who Startup. She has started many of her own companies. She's an advisor. She's an investor. She is a coach and she is a community leader. And we're really looking forward to having her on the show today. Welcome, Lizelle. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm happy to be here. Now, I'm curious, you have had uh, like a really storied uh, experience in terms of being an entrepreneur. I know that you've done your own things many times. You've joined other people. You've been an EI, an EIR investor, uh, no, EIR entrepreneur in residence. Uh, you've been, uh, had some exposure on the VC side. So like lots of stuff is going on for you. I'm curious, what are you most excited about right now? What's taking up your time as we're talking uh, in the summer of 2023? Oh, that's a good question. Soccer, football. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Soccer, football. Yeah. So uh, it's the Women's World Cup 2023. Yep. So I'm entrenched with that naturally. Um, somehow I I have played a tiny, small part in the for Denver FC um, volunteering coalition, which is an attempt to bring professional women's soccer to Denver, Colorado. It's time, but it's a much larger interest and creative spark for me. I have a humongous, uh, like creative burst at the moment surrounding um, the convergence and bridging women's sports and entrepreneurship and startups and technology somehow to help move this needle to bring more attention to women's sports in general. And so my brain is a little bit on fire at the moment, which is a really great and dangerous and scary place for me to be sometimes, but it's a really exciting time. So I'm doing a a tremendous amount of research right now on how football clubs, specifically women pro football clubs of all sorts of divisions and backgrounds are, are utilizing technology to activate their local communities and ecosystems. And you never know, I might, I might build something. I might, I might cook. I'm something's cooking, right? Something's cooking in my brain. There's um, something there for so, you. Something, something there for me. Yeah. I tend to get, I said, you know, I kind of, I like to think about it like, when curiosity is unlocked, your creativity can bolster. And when you're in that zone, don't stop. Go, baby, go. Ride the wave. Ride the wave. Because even if it's a thousand miles from the beginning point of that creativity and that curiosity, something's there there. Ride the wave. 
ride the wave. <laughs> Indeed. No, that's, that's the way, that's the way magic happens. And so are you like, like your passion for soccer slash football? Is this like a personal thing? Is this a passion of yours? Did you play? Do you play? Yeah, that's a great question. So what's funny is I was born and raised in South Africa. And so as a girl, you didn't have soccer as an option. Um, and there's some brilliant, um, South African football players that talk about this and, um, long story, uh, short, uh, you know, I played things like netball, um, which is like similar to basketball. Um, and I was a field hockey player, but I was a swimmer and a tennis player. Like I was a swimmer and I was a tennis player. So it's interesting. I had a lot of individual sports as a, as a kid growing up, but I did play netball, which was a team sport. So it had that equilibrium. You know, most people either have one or the other. <clears throat> I'm really glad I did both. Um, so my connection to soccer is like most people's connection to soccer, which is through, through the splashy, you know, EPL of like Man United and watching movies as a teenager, like bended like Beckham and, you know, and I was like, holy shit, you know, this is incredibly cool. And I'm in love with it. And I always really loved sports. I think it has become so much more profoundly clear to me why sports are so exciting to me because as an entrepreneur, it's very similar to sports. The mentality of the drive, the hurdles, the um, the self-awareness, self-reliance, discipline, right? So in order to achieve anything in sports, it's similar to what you want to achieve as an entrepreneur. So I've always had this incredibly cool kind of, um, you know, convergence of, of those two things. But my love for soccer really, really began as a teenager when I fell in love with um, an English Premier League, you know, club, Man United, but then it became expansive and I just did a lot of research on on all the kind of English Premier Leagues and my my now wife partner life partner better half um I met her when I was like 19 and so for the last 20 years she was a college player at um Old Dominion record breaking kind of midfielder and so it just amplified this um amazing love for the sport and besides, like all of us, I was fortunate to kind of be raised um, from 16 um, and older in, in the U.S. So the 99ers raised us, right? So we we know the 1999 and, and earlier, like incredible women soccer players who broke tremendous barriers to, to play the game that they love. So for me, women's soccer specifically is so much more than just this game of soccer. Yes, it's about football. There is this amazing game. It's a sport. It's been an entertainment for many, many, many moons. But the women's game and that evolution is really true to me, especially as the, woman who, the, the founder of Women Who Start Up. I'm always trying to find ways, and I think this is just true for me, and I think this might tap onto what a conscious entrepreneur is, which is always trying to figure out how I can uh, bridge human connection. Sports does that. Sports has this amazing unifying vector that brings people together, that, you know, it doesn't matter what political background or what your language might be, but you can all rally around your favorite sporting team or sporting event. And I think 
that in the world, we need more of that. We need more fun opportunities where we're all cheering each other on, cheering for something that brings us together. And so uh, all that to say is I think of women's sports as just this amazing moment in time, especially in 2023. I think there is a wave coming that is bigger than we can imagine. And I am prepared to do whatever it takes to catch that wave in some way, shape or form and contribute to the the velocity of that wave and and to learn to learn right what a wonderful what a wonderful inspiration it's a it's a very interesting backstory to hear and and interesting <laughs> yeah. that and the link to to your wife and to her career as a as a uh, as an athlete in in college and right. uh you know it, it strikes me that Denver is such a sports town you know we have, oh, we yes. have really good teams in you know whatever all these other, all these sports and all the men's franchises. We all have the men's all. franchises. Precisely. And so we're trying to attract the women's team to Denver. Like, what goes into that? Is there, who, who are the people who are deciding or not deciding? Or like, is there a team we're just trying to adopt? Or do we have to create our own? Or how does that work? So here's the beautiful thing. A lot of people have been tinkering on this idea of bringing a pro women's soccer team to Denver for like years now. Um, uh, I was approached by a couple of guys who've been tinkering on this uh, concept for about a year <clears throat> and um, and in partnership with Jordan Angeli, who is a really well-respected, wonderful person and an ex-player who was born and raised here in, in Colorado. And um, for her, you know, she's a great sports anchor now and, and whatnot. And um, for her, I think uh, it's, it's extraordinary for these professional players to consider that there's such a youth um, program uh, so many programs for youth um, development in, in, in the sport of soccer that why on earth is there not a professional women's soccer team, right? We have uh, an MLS team. We have other USL teams, right? Like there's a men's USL team uh, in Colorado Springs. Um, but like we have no professional women's soccer team and there's extraordinary um, women's soccer teams in Colorado. It is expensive. It is a soccer town, right? Like the whole state, I'm thinking of the soccer town, right? And like you're pointing it out, like Denver, Colorado is such a soccer city, right? Like, I mean, a sports city. Um, it really is. People love their sports. Again, I think it's such a uni uh, uni you know, unifying factor. What's interesting about Denver as a market <clears throat> is I think it's just all been about timing. And so it just takes a group of people to kind of stand up and to move the needle to, to get the train to leave the station. What's interesting about um, starting a sports franchise, a sports league, a sports club in a new city or in a city with, with all sorts of franchises in it, but not one specifically a women's pro team is it's very different, but very similar in some senses to, you know, you and I starting up a startup. So uh, I think if you and I are pretty versed in, in starting businesses and starting startups and especially in technology and, mm -hmm. you know, you, you get an idea and you, you form a team and, and you ship that idea. Those things are true in anything that you start from scratch. What's interesting about professional sports is there's a lot of components. You have political components, you have the city considerations, um, which are very affected by the real estate components of something of this nature. You have to think about a stadium, you have to think about training facilities. 
uh, you have to think about how that impacts those local communities and municipalities and cities. But that's when you're starting to think about job creation and community impact and giving back. And it's, it's instrumental, right? Like a new sports team in a city can change a city's culture. And I think that is um, wonderful. It's going to take a tremendous amount of work to <laughs> unearth that, um, to make that happen. And what's interesting about sports, it's just, it takes a boatload much more money than like you and I, like coining a new SaaS startup in software, for, for example. Um, it just is a profound amount of money. And so you have to unearth uh, and unlock some really key investors and ownership. And so that's interesting and instrumental to to really making sure that train leaves the station and then the team that forms around that um, kind of ownership and governance because there's just a tremendous amount of work that goes into it and it takes years. But the beauty of a sports team, and I had the luck and honor to meet um, Angela Euclid like yesterday, who is, uh, you know, ex-US Women's National Team player, Olympian, um, professional women's soccer player, football player. She's the GM of Angel City FC. And I, I, me, little Lizelle, like nobody, you know, like got to meet this hero of mine. And they say, don't meet your heroes. And that is absolutely wrong. Do meet them. It's instrumental. It can change your life. And I was talking to her and, and she validated so much of my own thinking, which is the, you have to, women's sports is like thinking in decades of legacy. You have to build the foundation. You're responsible for the culture of, of, that in your city. It's a tremendous amount of irons in the fire. You've got real estate, politics, fundraising, cap tables, board members, the team, the business team, the sports team, everything that surrounds that, the community at the core of everything you do, the fan, the community, you know, the constituent is that fan. And so they're really creating quite a beautiful playbook for how you do this differently for the first time ever, a sports franchise, a sports league, the team um, is, you know, all women owned, mostly women owned, predominantly women owned. And it has like, like, quote unquote, like a hundred investors on like how sports really go about it. So I'm looking at this as a great moment of learning for myself personally. It's just expansive. It feels extremely inspiring. It feels expansive. I feel like I have this whole career that I've had in technology, starting startups, building projects, launching campaigns, connecting humans through technology and in person. And my love for sports, specifically women's soccer, is at this pivotal moment where I'm trying to find like a crosshair of how I can contribute to that, create impact there. What can I build? How can I be a part of this? I, I'm not going to go play soccer, you know, um, but uh, I want to champion it. And, and the same challenges that exist for women and underrepresented founders exist for, for women's sporting clubs and leagues. Lack of resources, lack of capital, lack of respect, lack of just, you know, making it on the same playing field, literally, as as men's sporting teams and sporting events. Um, and so the fight's the same, isn't it? Always the same. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that uh, to to hear you use the term fight around that, right? And so so once again, you're in the yeah. underdog's corner, if you will. Like you are you are fighting against a system, and so you're saying, "Hey, we want to have this. We want to have this uh, this this team come to Denver." Just like I've heard you talk about as an entrepreneur, here's how we make sure that we get the right female founders funded. Here's how we get money flowing to underrepresented founders and stuff like that. So this seems to be a theme for you is Mm -hmm. justice. Hmm. (laughs) I like how you put that. I suppose that's true. I mean, as a woman, as an immigrant, as someone who's gay, um, I suppose my lens in life I'm also a white person, so I do have a profound amount of privilege that I'm extremely aware of, and I I don't take that for granted. Uh, Maybe that's why I don't take that for granted. And I find myself constantly um, trying to stand up for the right things that I believe are the right things and for more people to have more opportunity. And women are half the planet. We are capable of tremendous things, you know? We are the reason for all life on this planet. And so I'm pretty sure we can kick the shit out of some soccer balls and win. I'm pretty sure we can launch some cool companies and make it very profitable. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of things that we can do. And we're always a little bit up against like social norms. So there is some cultural engineering that's constantly happening. And it is a theme throughout my life. It's interesting. I don't know if that, you know, is on an entrepreneur's journey or a conscious entrepreneur's journey or just my journey. And there happens to be, you know, thousands of other people that align with, with that type of life. And I think for me, you know, I coined um, this term HX, you know, human experience, like what I tend to like to design and build and engineer and create sometimes from scratch, sometimes with others, sometimes by myself, is a way to leave it better than I found it. It's not always effective. I, you know, I fail at a lot, (laughs) a lot, a lot. And with this whole women's soccer thing, I have no idea what my role is, what my part is, but I am motivated more than ever, as ever, to make sure that all the right players are a part of it, that women have an opportunity to be investors and to back this thing and to be owners of this thing and to lead this thing. And that's not always easy. There's a tremendous amount of hurdles to overcome, even in the formation of these types of uh, campaigns and, and these types of efforts. And there's always surprises. And so at the end of the day, I try to do my best to, I don't know, to, to leave it better. Right. Like, um, and, and like I said, I fail at that, uh, all the time too. And I think that's just the human experience. One of the things I'm, I'm curious about, and if I, if I think back about some of the things I know you've worked on and that we've talked about before, uh, mm. be it everything from, uh, women who start up to, uh, I know you're involved with, with CU Boulder's entrepreneurship and innovation programs. And, Things mm. like, you know, even 101010 or purpose built or mm. uh or we funded like you have this you have this ability to bring people together. And I know that uh and, and be an active, thoughtful, uh contributing 
member of the community. And I know that you've talked about the concept of community engineering before, and that seems like it's especially prescient for the the the, fo- the football club project, but other things as well. And so I'd like to hear more about how you consciously think of community benefiting entrepreneurs, benefiting one another, and 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 how to take a more active or proactive role uh, as a community member. Like, what does that mean yeah. to you, community yeah. engineering? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. I coined that term actually this week, but I've been talking about it for a really long time. Huh. So, what's really interesting about community building is I think if you peel away all the layers you're talking about belonging. And I myself am a person who at a very young age, you know, figured out that I was gay. And that made me feel like a bit of an alien. I was very isolated. It was a very traumatic time in my life. My family was very ashamed of that. And it made me feel isolation. And I think those types of experience. And then I moved to the United States and I'm like this foreign kid with an accent and I speak a different language and now I have to learn how to learn in a new language. And again, you have a sensation of a bit of isolation. It's a bit foreign. Where do I belong? Who am I? Why am I always different? Um, And then I get to my career and I'm like the only woman in the room. And I'm like, again, Jesus Um, Why am I the only woman in the room? Do I belong here? Where do I belong? Who am I? Why am I here? (laughs) And so I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of our trauma shape us into the people who we end up becoming. And we've talked about this. We talked about this at the summit. It builds our resilience. It builds our muscle, how I like to think about it, like a bicep. It, It builds that resilience that muscle that makes you take on things. But back to the community component of this, I think belonging is at the center of becoming someone that loves to bring people together and make them feel like they belong. And doing that around a product or a service or a project or a campaign or soccer or technology, it doesn't matter what that might be. I think I'm continuously learning that it doesn't matter what vertical I choose or what angle it might be. Instinctively, I engineer through technology or through sport or whatever I uh, am using as the instrument, I am focused on HX, human connection and the human experience. And so that's been interesting for me to, um, to kind of be more aware of and to kind of meditate on a little bit and to go, go deeper into that, like trust that, like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, uh, what wonderful things have you created because you have not felt like you belong? And there's millions of people who feel the same. In fact, I think that is really quintessentially a part of the human experience and people want to belong in places and spaces. And I believe that when you belong, when you feel like you belong and you are welcomed into belonging somewhere, it untaps your full human potential. So now people who feel like they belong, 
whether it's in a tiny startup or a big community or in their school or at varsity or in a club or whatever. Now they can relax. Our nervous systems kind of take a breath and we can fully show up. We can fully like, you know, like we can be ourselves. We can think clearly. We can be creative and holy shit. Like I think that can solve the biggest problems in the world. If we could belong and there's not so much friction and, and, you know, there's not so much yeah friction, I guess. And, and people can just kind of relax and, and show up fully, but that's really hard. Holy shit. I experience this stuff all the time. Even someone who's trying to curate belonging nine times out of 10, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. And so I guess that's why intrinsically there's something innately in me that's trying to engineer belonging and it's a blessing and a curse, but I hope it continues to be more of a blessing. <laughs> I've got some big news to share. Gay Hendricks, the author of The Big Leap, the author of Conscious Loving, and one of the pillars of the conscious community, is going to be running an in-person workshop here in Boulder, Colorado on November 8th. This is a tremendous opportunity to uncover your zone of genius and overcome what is holding you back. Check out our website, ConsciousEntrepreneur.us, for more information on this exclusive in-person event with Gay Hendricks on November 8th. They say that in entrepreneurship, you build what you need. And so there you go. you're saying, hey, you know, nine times out of ten, I don't belong, right? I grew up as a, as a gay kid in South Africa, and then I moved to the U.S., and I never felt like I'm belonging. And now you're orienting yourself toward being a community engineer and, and creating communities and creating human experience, then mm. that's a thread that makes sense if it's true that we build what we need. Yeah, that's good. Maybe, now, now, uh, maybe, that, you, maybe that will be the book I write. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned very briefly there uh, what happens to the nervous system when we belong. And mm. I know that you have talked a lot about uh, mental health for entrepreneurs, stress management for entrepreneurs, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all the things. And these are all themes that we talk about at, at the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I want to go a little bit, a little bit deeper into, into this because, you know, you have done your own startups. You've also, you know, seen a lot of other, these things get birth and, and, and participated in, in the process. And so, you know, like me, you've seen, the founders who get it and invest in their own well-being, resilience, mental health, and, and their own capabilities. You've also seen the ones who are purely externally focused or have have uh, not resolved whatever the inner work is that they're meant to be doing, and who wind up, you know, in some some state of, of unconsciousness or misery as a result. Um, I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on on how an entrepreneur can best equip themselves for what is a long marathon of a journey as opposed to just a sprint and the types of things that are going to be helpful for them on the way, things that we may not have been taught in school. We may not know until it's you know almost too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a big one, right? Oh, <laughs> so, um, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you just, you are an entrepreneur, no matter like how your career might evolve or your life might evolve. You're always kind of looking to solve problems and be a problem solver and, and all those kinds of things. But you're touching on like, just like a, you know, a monumentous amount of like important things. So I think 
a lot of us, even if we're working pretty hard on our well-being, our self-awareness, our mental health, <clears throat> our physical health, physiological, spiritual health, all those things, we're still in some sense in misery. <laughs> and I, uh, I don't say, I don't take that lightly and I'm not projecting that on to anyone else. I, I, I can only speak for myself and like maybe a thousand people I've, I've interviewed and met over the years. And, um, we are entrepreneurs. I think what makes us entrepreneurial is experiences in our life that were challenging that made us more resilient and it was difficult and some are severe traumas some are just life experiences and everything in between so i think when you show up to entrepreneurship you already have this foundation of you know like this uh motivating factor to to solve problems to 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 mend pain to bring people together to 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 engineer you know unique things and so there's a sense of a driver, I think, uh, for entrepreneurs from pain, from trauma, from uh, life experiences. It's not true for everybody. So again, I'm not generalizing. So what's interesting about that is now I look at the entrepreneur's journey as, as an athlete's journey, which is to say, you cannot possibly think that you're going to be an exceptional athlete without training and stretching and eating well and doing the movement, doing the motion, doing the work, doing the exercise, whatever that might be. And it's true for an entrepreneur. You can't possibly imagine that you're going to be your best as an entrepreneur without quite literally sleeping well, eating well, exercising, training, walking, having friends, having a community, maybe going to therapy, unpacking some trauma, like all those kinds of things. And now some people are like, oh, holy shit, like when am I building my product or company? And it's like, well, if you're a first-time founder, you're not thinking about all these things. When you're a first-time founder, you're seething because you're so excited about an idea and you're going to tinker on that for hours on end and, and you'll probably feel like a, you know, like a house on fire. You'll, you'll feel like you've, you've got the energy of the world, uh, with you. And it's, it's like, it's an amazing experience. And I've experienced that many times, too many times. <laughs> and, uh, and I can't wait for more, but I will say that with time as an entrepreneur, you learn some basics, you learn your pace, you learn the, the pendulum of these highs and lows. So the highs don't go too high where you become so, so removed from reality. Um, and sometimes that's what it takes, but too removed, it's hard to bring yourself back down to earth. And then if you do come back down to earth, you don't want to plummet, right? You don't want that low to be so low. A lot of us, and this is true for athletes, this is true for entrepreneurs and founders, is we tie our identities to our work. So an athlete without soccer can feel like, who am I for the first time in their lives? And that's why like when athletes get injured or whatever, it, it's a huge transformation. It's physiological, it's, it's emotional, it's psychological, it's spiritual. Like it can really dampen your, your sense of self and, and your, your headspace. And it can be detrimental. It can be scary. The same thing is true for an entrepreneur. Like when I always explain to people, like when I'm in between projects and I've been 
in that in-between for a while, it's very, very difficult for me. It's very difficult for a lot of people. It's the time where you have the most time to think, to process, to reflect. These are important moments of time, and you have to learn to be capable of dealing with these moments of time. It's a lot easier to just be working your ass off on an idea. There's no time to think. There's no time to reflect. There's no time to process. And so I've said it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. A lot of times, serial entrepreneurs like myself, we can be reflective and go, holy shit, my lifestyle of entrepreneurship has been a coping mechanism for a really long time. But how can I acknowledge that, make peace with that, and fall in love with that, and figure out that pendulum where nothing activates me like building solving problems, connecting people, because it's fulfilling to me. But how can I do that? Not at the detriment when I'm not doing it, I feel like a hollow version of a human. And so that's the work. And so Mm. for the first time as an adult, willingly, I started working with a new therapist this year. I had done some therapy when I was much younger for multiple reasons but I was much, much younger and it felt uh, intrinsically forced upon, right? And so now I waited for the right time and I needed the right therapist and it might be an evolution of guides. I think of a therapist as another guide in your life to unravel what you already know. You just need a mirror and a reflection and some tooling to kind of unlock some of these things that might be understood, but you need some help to become, right? And so I started working with a therapist this year and it's hard work. Uh, no jokes. Like it's, it's hard work, especially during a time frame where I have the time to be reflective. So you are, I really put myself in quite the dichotomy and, and, and forced myself into the corner of being extremely reflective. And it's unearthing a lot of really interesting things and it's teaching me a lot and it's uncomfortable and it's, it's hard work. And, and, but I highly encourage that to other founders and entrepreneurs, especially serial entrepreneurs and founders, because you get to understand all these parts of yourself, which is really cool. As my therapist gave me this visual, she said, think of yourself as walking into a boardroom and there you are at the edge of the boardroom, there's Lizelle and there's like, a thousand other Lazelles around that boardroom. And that's all the other selves that have been there for you and are there for good reasons. Um, Some have been there to uh, protect you and support you and all these other little parts of yourself, not to be mistaken for multiple personality disorder. You're using using the word parts as in internal family systems? There you go. Exactly. Right. And so there's all these parts to ourself and they all should in a perfect world and a perfect being work together. Well, Mm. life experiences teach us parts of ourselves to stand up and protect us and blah, blah, blah. And when you're getting to like my point, I'm like, why am I acting like that? Why am I doing these things this way? And so you get a, a tool with a great therapist to learn that don't be upset with yourself. Self-hatred is really not the way. Um, mm. Don't beat yourself up to a pulp. Get to know that part of yourself. Be kind to that part of yourself. Unpack that part of yourself. Say, hi, 
you know, who are you? When did you show up? Let me get to know this part of myself and understand that that part of myself was really there to protect me and help me to survive experiences in my life. But now I can maybe say, Hey, you know what? You can like maybe just hang out and have some tea. Other parts of myself could kind of take over and we can have a little bit more grace and even more resilience. And I've got all sorts of managers and firefighters <laughs> running around. Holy shit, right? Doing all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, no, the firefighters, I just want them to kind of like just take a little vacation. But you can't do that apparently if you're just like, hey, take a vacation. And it's like, <laughs> no, you know, that part of yourself is like, God, no, you definitely need me right now. And so it's, it's, you have to be gracious to that part of yourself and get to know that part. And so that's kind of like interesting work, right? That's very introspective and interesting work. I um, want to reflect so, on something you were saying yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. earlier and, 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 uh, uh, that, that struck me, which was, you know, when we have downtime, uh, mm, then, then we, mm -hmm. then we think and we reflect and it, you know, all it's the hard. ghosts, all the ghosts can come out. And so what I think yeah. I heard you saying was that sometimes as entrepreneurs, <laughs> we wind, we wind up working extra hard as a distraction. So we don't have to hear those voices or feel those feelings inside of us. And we wind up doing the, you know, tasks and actions and activities of being an entrepreneur running around or living only in our minds mm -hmm. so that we, we don't have to feel, or we don't have yeah. to think, or we don't have to reflect on Mm -hmm. you know, what's going on in our life. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. I do think that I have learned for me, I don't speak for others, but I, I would, I would guess I would put a million bucks. I'm not the only one <laughs> um, that, yeah, I think work and you don't just have to be an entrepreneur. I think work can be a hell of a drug. I think it can be a hell of a coping mechanism and it feels and is also amplified, especially in American culture, this extremely, um, you know, economically driven. Hustle, hustle culture, hustle culture is, cow. is toxic yeah. and it's time to retire hustle culture. Yeah. I mean, but capitalism in a sense, and, and especially in this country, it's like you work hard for, you know, as long as you can. And then then somehow <laughs> then you can be happy then you can then you can the be beach, happy then and, you can relax then you die right you, exactly and it's a it's a oh, it's a horrible narrative it's it's a false narrative it's faulty but it sure keeps the you know the factories pumping right yeah and so god we, we'll need like six more hours if we were going to get go into that strategically but i'll come back to the point which you validated and, and affirmed, which is what I mentioned. I think work can be a wonderful escapism and a hell of a uh, coping mechanism. And the moments you don't have that, the first time I remember um, uh, wrapping up a startup, oh, Jesus, it was, it was actually terrifying. I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was a very visceral, um, experience. It was, so what was going super, on? What was, what was happening? Let's get specific. Yeah. I mean, it was dark. I mean, I was depressed. I was anxious. I was freaked out. I was like, Oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. I am not X, Y, Z. I'm, I'm now I'm nothing. It was empty. It was the mm. void. It was very, very scary. And, uh, you know, it's taken me years. And, and so I think, you just, you know, like most things, if you haven't walked through that experience, 
it's foreign and it was really intimidating because for a lot of us, we put so much into our work and it takes a long time and some, some guidance to unpack all the things that I, I mentioned kind of previously. You, you start to learn like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, hang on. <laughs> hang on for one sec because I think I'm Lizelle. I have had this life. I've had all these experiences. I've made all these impacts. And now I'm not working on X, whatever my previous project might be, or, and I'm not less of a person now. Even saying that is still difficult, right? Like I was was choking through that. It's very, very, very hard. So dancing with that devil, I think is important, rewarding work. And I feel a much stronger sense that I am more than just these pieces of work that I have either engineered or cultivated or worked on or worked towards or whatever. And there's still something in me that aches a bit when I'm not working on something. And there I know I need to give love and kindness and support and if I can soften on, on some of that, so not like this, but like soften on that a little bit, hopefully this makes sense to you and the listeners, but it allows me to again have moments of deep curiosity that transcends me to deep creativity that could unlock the next thing. And I don't know, it feels like a mad scientist experiment almost all the time, but uh, I I say this for myself and I say this for people who might be resonating with this, which is you're okay. <laughs> trust that you're going to be okay. Um, uh, working on trust in, in and of itself, I think is huge work. And I think it's really important and it's lovely and it's validating and um, it can change your life. And so, and uh, where does that it's going to be? Okay. Where does that aching that you just mentioned, where does that aching come from? Mm. Well, I mean, if we're going to just turn this into an absolute therapy session, which I love, um, I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of our trauma in life can motivate us towards different types of work and different ways we show up in our work. Without that work, some of those little empty spaces within us, which those traumas traumas might have created, can show its face again. And so it's not about one or the other. Always be working or never be working, that you're always reflective on, on the things that you've experienced in your life. It's about healing from those places within yourself that, were painful and remarkable for whatever reason. And to acknowledge that these are things that make me feel fulfilled, but fulfillment will never really come from any external work, (laughs) which is the hardest work of all. There's no moonshot in the world that I can build that is a bigger moonshot than my inner moonshot. 
And that I believe wholeheartedly, that's making my eyes fucking sweat. That's truth, which is when you are blessed with those moments where you're being reflective and you're doing the work, no matter how hard it feels, it's like, like anything that's rewarding. You're not going to go climb Everest and it feel easy. And by the time you get to the summit, you're like, wow, this is it. There's no oxygen up here. Sure, there's one hell of a view. I can't breathe. I can't feel my body. I feel like I'm going to die. Now I need to climb down. It's interesting, these analogies of hard things that we want to accomplish and achieve. And all we're actually doing is this inner work. Some of us are aware of it. And some of us are not aware of it. Some of us scratch the surface of beginning that journey of awareness. And boy, if you can at least scratch on the surface of beginning of that self-awareness journey, then at least you're giving yourself the opportunity to start working on that inner moonshot, which is, mm -hmm. boy, this really is the inside job. Success, two of the people who are yeah. Two of the people who I respect tremendously who are in the orbit of Conscious Entrepreneur are uh, Dr. Srikumar Rao and mm -hmm. Gay Hendricks. And they both say in different ways, but they both say that ultimately the path of being an entrepreneur is a spiritual path and that all we're ever doing is working on ourselves. We think Amen. we're building X, Y, and Z. We think we're whatever in FinTech or SaaS or creating a, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And really all we're doing is working on yeah. ourselves. Yeah. I've said this on, uh, and they are a thousand percent accurate. And I love that. I've said it on, on the Women Who Startup platform numerous times. And the way I used to phrase it was entrepreneurship is a personal growth journey. They said it more beautifully. And that was me years ago, much younger, and also searching for some of this more than today. Searching led to understanding, led to knowing. I think I'm in the realm of knowing I can't wait for the becoming. <laughs> I've also heard you say that uh, in the entrepreneur's journey, self-discovery is the destination. Mm. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, sometimes I say interesting things. Um, well, it's everything we're talking about, isn't it? Which is to say, if I look back at 20 years of what I've built... I'm not reviewing ones and zeros or pixels or color palettes or design systems or copy. I'm reviewing myself. I'm looking at how I've evolved as a person. Am I proud of that? Am I disappointed? The answer is always yes to both. <laughs> um, and so the more you build, the more you get to know yourself. To me, there is no... There's no question. I believe this with every fiber in my body that entrepreneurship is a journey of self-discovery because I believe it's a vehicle of self-discovery. I think people choose different vehicles of self-discovery. Some people become authors and they write books. Some people are educators and they teach students or whatever. I think the entrepreneur's journey is pretty visceral though. You're constantly putting yourself out there. Um, and there's also a lot to lose. And for most of us, 
we don't really, like, I think entrepreneurs have way more fear of success than a failure. We're just not that we've failed so much. We fail all the time, every day where we, you know, just don't live up to our full potential. We're failing a little bit on ourselves and it's not really failure. We're learning. We're learning, right? Like at the, I think at the entrepreneurs, uh, conscious entrepreneur summit, I said, you know, you're either learning or you're winning, you know, and you, you're not, you're really doing both at the same time. You know, when you're winning, you feel like I've achieved something other than that. You're usually learning. And so you're learning a lot about yourself every day. I am reviewing my actions more than I'm reviewing. Once you become really good at a craft, whether that's marketing or engineering or being a leader or a CEO, CEO or however you're contributing to a startup or being a founder or an entrepreneur or a business owner or whatever, once you start doing that for a really long time, you're, you're constantly trying to sharpen your blades on the craft, certainly. But at some point, your craft is pretty solid where you're really reflective of your behavior, how you're showing up. Right. And so, um, I think that's really, I think that's really true. Yeah. This is, this is super interesting. And and the, the fear of failure versus fear of success. If I'm Mm -hmm. the fear of success, if I am successful, Mm -hmm. then I am going to be seen. If I am successful, then Mm -hmm. I have to take responsibility for myself. I can no longer be a victim. Mm -hmm. And you know, wow. maybe I'm really comfortable being a victim and therefore I spend all sorts of time sabotaging myself. Maybe I don't want to take responsibility in my life. So I find all the reasons to stay where I am. It's like I've heard Jerry Colonna say, in what yeah. ways are you complicit with the things you say you don't want? Oof. And how do we self-sabotage ourselves? And I think that fear of success is just such a magnifier for a lot of shit that that we have in our in our heads, and yeah. <laughs> you know, a question that was coming up for me was: you mentioned you've yeah. been an entrepreneur and been in your career for about about twenty years. If we were to teleport and transport back to to Lizelle <laughs> in two thousand and three, oh god, like, what would you tell yourself? Like, what were the things that you thought were important then that are actually BS? What are the things that you would say? Hey, you know, let's do this instead, or focus on this. Like, what would your message be to that age, Lizelle? Yeah. It's, it's one that's been coming up a lot this year. Uh, so it's a, it's a timely question. Um, Jesus. Uh, (laughs) timely because you're building a time travel machine or timely for (laughs) (laughs) no timely because I've been reflective of that particular question, you know, um, I think a lot of us ask ourselves that question because we go, well, where did we go wrong? You know, could we have changed something? But this is a nice question, which is to say like, Hey, if you transported back, you know, to, to 2003, and I'm literally trying to place myself, like I'm at the art Institute of Colorado. I'm really young. I'm working on my first degree. I'm also working in tech. I started working in tech at 19, barely 20 as a graphic design intern And I was a machine of output. And to me, there was no, as I'm reflecting back on that, there was like no awareness of that quite yet. To me, to to exist meant to be the best, be the greatest, be the fastest. Just, Just do everything with 
Like I didn't say to myself, do everything with force. I had so much force in doing anything and everything. I mean, I finished my degree while working full-time, then did an MBA while working full-time, while having like two extra jobs. It was just, the energy was remarkable. (laughs) So when I can reflect on that younger LaZelle, that was really a window into not knowing who you are, not knowing where you belong. And every piece of my identity was so entrenched in, well, if my work is good, then at least I'm worthy of something. And it had a lot to do with self-worth. And I'm definitely still working on that. I don't think that really stops especially if you had really early age, you know, trauma of different kinds. Worth is an interesting calibrator of you, how you show up in the world, your work, all these kinds of things. All that to say that if I had to give advice and we had this power to travel back and I could plant a little seed magically or whatever, I would try to teach myself whether I had to be some fictitious guide to my younger self or maybe bring in someone else into my younger self's world just to learn how to love myself a little bit more and accept myself a little bit more so that I wasn't so hard on myself. And the only way that I thought that I deserved to breathe another day almost was I had to work so, so hard, you know, like there's no other way. I think for me, it was like, there's no other way to show that I matter than my work. I still think it shows up and I'm cognizant of it to a much greater degree. And the work is still there, but it's very different. Of course, it's, it's, it's evolved. Um, There's like a greater, you know, Uh, awareness of it. And there's also a lot more tooling that I have and awareness that I have on that. So I don't know if that's true for a lot of people, but yeah, just if you can just kind of plant a little seed and say, yo, kid, yeah, no, you don't have to beat the shit out of yourself so badly that, you know, your head's spinning. Like when you say that, when you talk like that, I, I feel it resonating in me. Like literally, mm. I feel it in my chest. The mm. yeah, the th- I felt the, that everywhere. The, the <laughs> thought that I yeah. I only matter if my work output is good. The way yeah. that I show my worthiness to the world is by hustling and working and being diligent and being on time and doing great stuff and having good grades and mm. you know doing a million things at the same time. That's how I matter. Mm. Damn it. I know. If you were on my podcast, I would totally switch the tables right now and go deeply into your story. <laughs> but I want to honor your your time. So we're gonna have to do this again on this on is this is, this is meaning this is meaningful stuff. You know, it, it's funny, like yeah. you know, all the so many entrepreneurs, they always think that they wanna, you know, come and, and talk about external stuff, how to do fundraising, how to build a product, how to do marketing, how to do SEO or whatever it is. 
And at the end of the day, like if you're not spending time on this internal stuff, you could be successful and filled with anger or successful mm-hmm. and miserable or, mm-hmm. you know, have family problems or health problems or, or whatever it is. And, and so, yeah. you know, what we're trying yeah. to do, and I'm so glad you're part of this community is like, we're Thank trying you. to figure out how to make this a, a holistic conversation and, and to be really real about the identity of an entrepreneur, because just like you, I agree that being an entrepreneur is not a job title. It's not something you mm-hmm. do. It's how you are. It's how you behave mm-hmm. in the world, how you act in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, we need to broaden that conversation so that we're talking about all these things that really add up and that, and that really matter. Um, you know, just the yeah. other day I was on the phone with someone who I hadn't talked to in a long time and he's, and, and sort of an acquaintance, right? And it turns out that, you know, he had this whole cancer thing like a couple of years ago, Ugh. right? Because yeah. everything was all, all, you know, I mean, I don't know, yeah, but like yeah. everything was all bottled yeah. up, right? So therefore yeah. his immune system is down. And like, you hear this kind of happening so often. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think our job is to solve everything here. That's not the point. But the point is, let's have a conversation. And this podcast is an example of that. Let's have a conversation where we lay this stuff out and, and we talk about it. And, you know, we're not yeah. mental health professionals, we're not therapists, right. we're right. not doctors, we're not psychiatrists, but what we are is we're experienced entrepreneurs who have seen a lot of people go through their journeys and we're on our own personal journeys um, as well. Now, yeah. Lizelle, as, as, we, as we wrap up here, I got a couple of things I'm really curious to, to ask you about. Okay. Um, first, you, you mentioned this a little bit at the, at the beginning when you talked about... Uh, uh, bridging human connection, but I'm curious if you have a since we're on the Conscious Entrepreneur podcast, if you have a definition of what is a conscious entrepreneur. I do. <laughs> so, Shoot, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I was uh, I was working on defining conscious entrepreneur <clears throat> over the last couple of weeks for some reason. I think maybe this podcast sparked that, and um. Uh, I wrote this down. A conscious entrepreneur is someone who with every fiber in them creates impact for people while attempting to be profitable. It's not always true that you're profitable, but I think the point is always you're trying to create a business, but at the core for you as a person is human, right? Like a person. Um, I I also think of this as like, it's a person that has a heightened sense of self-awareness and connection to others. And so like you're just said, like entrepreneur is not a title. It's a way of being. So a conscious entrepreneur, I think is even a little bit more heightened where, especially like someone like me, I'm, I'm always thinking about, you know, somebody's like, well, let's work on X. And my mind just goes, boom, awesome. Like how can I bring 10,000 people or a hundred thousand people or a million people around this thing? You know? So it is an immediate like point of human connection for me. And so I just think that a conscious entrepreneur is someone that has a heightened sense of awareness of themselves and of everything around them in a sense. I don't know if it's more complicated than that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. great. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious. We talked a lot about kind of resilience and maintaining one's own 
you know, health stasis, if you will. Mm, uh, yeah. What are your personal practices? So what do you do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to maintain your health, your sanity, your relationships, you know, all yeah. the things you mentioned, go to therapy. What else, what else, uh, is part of your practice? Yeah. Um, so a lot of people know this about me. I, I like created like walk and talks many years ago during women who start up and every Wednesday I would go have a walk and talk with a, with a founder and an entrepreneur. <clears throat> but so people tend to know that I love to walk every day. I walk like two or three times a day if I'm lucky on a good day, otherwise <clears throat> a minimum of once a day. So walking to me is, um, meditation, it's movement. It kind of, you know, that motion gives you some lotion to the joints. It's good for your lungs. It's good for your heart. It's good for your brain. I think walking is, uh, overlooked sometimes as like, Oh my God, I don't have time. I think you can take a call on a walk. You can listen to a podcast, you can listen to music, or you can just completely make it meditative and do nothing other than just consciously walk and, and take in the present moment. Walking, I think, is a huge instrument to wellness, and I highly recommend it to people. I'm a pretty strict sleeper. I'm not always great about going to bed like early enough. I'm like, a, I have to get eight, eight hours of sleep for me to be like awesome. Um, I can get away with like seven, anything less than seven. I'm just like a mess by like 3.30. But I have a lot of um, interesting health-related and wellness-related, you know, um, formulas and, and playbooks. I I live and have been diagnosed with two different autoimmune diseases over the course of my life as an adult. One actually really mo more recently, which I had a huge scare with my thyroid, um, and I thought for sure it was cancer, and and it wasn't. But it turns out that now I have two autoimmune diseases. And so I'm very cognizant of how that shows up in my life as an entrepreneur and as someone that's working on trauma and all these kinds of things, because our immune systems are constantly a um, kind of like a loudspeaker for us. It's a communication vessel. It's telling us that, you know, things are lacking alignment. And so, um, for the last 13 years, I, I try to figure out some of my health stuff. And it turns out that I had Lyme disease and chronic. And when I have intense um, stress burdens or I can have like uh, attacks or, you know, kind of like immune system kind of, you know, just plummets um, if I'm too stressed or all these kinds of things, my body can flare up into like a, like a Lyme kind of disease kind of like attack or flare up or whatever. And so I have to be, I've made, I've been made so aware of my physiological health and body since I was about 27 when this kind of started for me. And so I can speak a great deal. I've worked with multiple naturopaths and, and integrative medical doctors. I do physical therapy every single week. And a lot of people think, oh, like, what are you rehabbing? And so for me, physical therapy is another instrument for weekly strength training, immunity building cognitive chemical releasing. And so, um, I have, uh, really cool, like you see all my stuff behind me, like in the mornings I do foam roller and, you know, like I align my body, I do self alignment, I do strengthening, I do, um, stretching and all these kinds of things. In addition to working out about two to three times a week and my daily walks. 
and I love to swim and, um, I'm getting into, um, cycling again a little bit. We just bought like a cool stationary bike. So I'm slowly introducing that my body is pretty sensitive. And so I introduce things kind of slowly, but yeah, a lot of people don't know that I have these autoimmune diseases. They don't know that every Sunday I meal prep for the week ahead because I have to eat so clean. I eat a very, um, kind of like somewhat keto, just extremely clean, high protein, high vegetables, high fruit. I haven't drank alcohol or caffeine for like 13, 14 years. I had to cut out things that are inflammatory to my body. And so that's why I can probably so freely talk about my entrepreneur journey. My human experience is someone that has to focus on training like an athlete and being disciplined with what comes in both literally or energetically into my body and around my life. And so when I'm thinking about health and wellness, um, it's a lot of modalities. It's, it's a lot of modalities <laughs> to keep me creative, calm, inspired, focused, healthy. And I have setbacks all the time. And, you know, I don't talk about those things too much publicly at, at all. Um, you know, I kind of keep that to myself. Um, uh, but here I am telling you, but that's okay. It's a good thing. I think there's a lot of people who deal with these kinds of invisible things, you know, on a technical level, I have disabilities, but I don't think of myself in that way. I do not have a narrative, uh, around that in that way. I don't associate, I don't want to associate with health and wellness in that way. I have built myself a narrative that these are superpowers that are trying to teach me how important it is to do the internal introspective physiological and emotional and psychological work of someone who has experienced lots of trauma, who happens to be an entrepreneur and the, the vital impact it can have on you in your physiological health and your emotional health and your psychological health. So I am a bit of a, um, health and wellness nerd in the, in the way that I absolutely had to become and, and educate myself unbelievably on multitudes of how to get inflammation out of your, your, your body, um, how to make sure you boost your immune system, how to manage stress. And I'm someone as a, like a high input, high impact, like high performing type A, you know? And so I have to dance with that every single day. Like when I have bad days, it's because of like one or two things that I probably didn't do in my day. And it's not that bad anymore. Like I constantly am getting stronger and improving and whatever, but I have setbacks. I am human. And so you have to deal with those things too. So, you know, um, but there's a lot of inspiring people all across the world that live with all sorts of things that you can look at. It's the lens, right? Like it, you can, you you have to choose, you have to choose. Is this something that's going to cripple me? psychologically and physiologically. And I'm going to believe that. And, and the moment you do, I think it will take over in a bad way. Mm. Or <clears throat> is this an opportunity? Is this a message? Is this a lesson? Is this something else that is so important? My body's trying to communicate that with me. And when these things show up for me, it's like, woof, Lizelle, we got more work to do. We have to be mindful, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so I'm constantly trying to align my work with that physiological aspect of wellness. And it's not easy. 
I won't lie. I mean, I'm talking to you now freely on a podcast, but I mean, there are moments where it's really fucking hard, right? Like, and I don't like to talk about that stuff too much because um, I like to be inspiring to other entrepreneurs, right? But I have to remind myself that other people go through these kinds of things too. And maybe that's inspiring too. So. Some, sometimes they want to hear the real story. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. you know, the, 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 the worst form of entrepreneurial rah-rahism is the hero story. And right. so, yeah. you know, <laughs> no God, how, boring, how boring are those? <laughs> so instead yeah. we want to hear what's really going on. And so I, yeah, I yeah. thank you for, I thank you for sharing that. Last question I have is yeah. you know, along your journey, what are the resources? So this could be books, videos, podcasts, shows, conferences, people, whatever that are most helpful to you that you want to share. Okay, cool. I love this question. Um, I wrote some things down just so I remember. So I'm reading this really cool book right now. I don't know if you know Dr. Gladys um, McGarry. She's 102 years old. She wrote this book. What? The, the Well-Lived Life. This lady is still kicking ass on Instagram today. Amazing. Gladys McGarry. Yeah. And she wrote this extraordinary book after like four decades of being a doctor the well-lived life. And I think it's a really, um, it's such a simple book <laughs> on unlocking your passion and your purpose in life helps you to understand your piece, your puzzle piece in how you fit into the world and why it's so vital and everyone's unique. And I think it's like a lovely scripture from a woman with tremendous healing capabilities, but there's a very interesting spiritual aspect to that. Cause I think she's just on a different vibration because I mean, you're 102. She has helped, you know, thousands and thousands of people. So I'm currently, um, reading this, uh, over the summer. I'm also about to read, um, a book called the pathless path by Paul Millard, just some dude I came across on, on Twitter. And he, like most of us have probably been trying to figure out this path of our lives and all that. And he wrote this book called the pathless path. I took a little peek at it. I like the essence of it. I haven't touched it yet, so I don't highly recommend it yet, but I'm about to read that and I can report back some of the books that I absolutely adore. One of the best books I've ever read. Um, I'll throw in the alchemist. I think the alchemist is such a wonderful story of, uh, the entrepreneur's journey in a creative sense. If you can, put yourself in there. I think it's a wonderful story. So if you haven't read The Alchemist yet, uh, do that. But the first book I ever read that was a business book that was nothing like a business book was Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. I bought that book for every person I met for years and as a gift or at my woman who startup community. It was the first book where I read a text on and a, narr a narrative on a human being's experience and the work kind of fit into that. And it wasn't live to work. It was, it was live and your work will on, will show itself. It will show up for you. And I love that book. And of course, you know, what happened to Patagonia, one of the most phenomenal instrumental businesses to ever be started in the most unique way and the impact that it is it, it it continues to try and have on our planet so i love that book let my people go surfing 
I will recommend every single book that Brene Brown has ever written, but I love Dare to Lead and Atlas of the Heart. Um, I think all her books are really instrumental because it is a lot about self-discovery. Ryan Holiday is a favorite author of mine. I like him as a philosopher and somebody that unearths stoicism and philosophy. So I love The Ego is the Enemy. I think that book was really instrumental, but I love all his books. Um, more recently, I read The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. Even though it's this essence where people think it's a book about him working with all these amazing musical artists, the book is not one it's story not, about a single... Yeah. yeah, it is a meditation. And I mm. listened to it and Same I here. bought the Same actual here. book. Oh my God, it's wonderful. It, like, it's wonderful. I highly recommend The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. I'm a really, really big fan of um, Dr. Gabor. So I, I have his book. Um, Gabor Mate? Yes, Gabor Mate. Yeah. Uh, his most recent book is like a Bible. <laughs> it's like three. So it's, it's, a, it's a profound body of work. And, and you would need to have some serious time to go through that. You're talking I about the myth of normal? Yes. Oh, my God. Because he is such a, he's such a, a brilliant mind around trauma. It's it's really interesting, and um, I really like Dr. Nicole Lapera and her more in, more recent book. One of her more recent books, you know, How to Meet Yourself, I think is really really cool. Um, I obviously have hundreds of books that are surrounding me at any given time. You know, Good to Great, The Lean Startup, all that kind of stuff. In my mind. Those are great tactical books that you can read that teaches you something about strengthening and sharpening your blade in context of tactics on how to build companies or whatever. The more interesting thing in my mind is always how to get to know yourself, how to unpack that shit, that inner work, that inner work, that inner work, right? So um, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's a wonderful list of resources <laughs> and it yeah. caps off a beautiful conversation. I am Thank you. so appreciative that uh, you're here to share and be so open and vulnerable and forthright with all Thanks, of us. Alex. It's really, real pleasure, real pleasure to have you here with us. Uh, I, I love this community. Um, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to get to know you, the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit ecosystem and community. It was so special to, to go to the summit in Boulder this year. I feel like it was something that I didn't really want to do for uh, interesting set of reasons because it's it's a it's a, a true space of vulnerability, and I feel like it changed my year by going to the event, and it was wonderful, and it reminded me of all the things that I feel and and deal with. Sometimes there are all these other people that deal with them as well. And it was great to be in a physical environment where not only was that encouraged, it was very inspired. You know, it wasn't just encouraged to, to discuss those kinds of real inner workings, but it was, it was very inspiring and, and, uh, it was, it was awesome. It was <laughs> awesome. Maybe one day I'll, I'll, uh, go and do a talk again or something. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. All right. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur. If you're ready to go deeper into working on yourself, check out the upcoming events, articles, and resources on our website, 
which is ConsciousEntrepreneur.us. I'd also really like to thank the team at Hivecast for producing this episode. If you run a podcast and are looking for an awesome, full-service production company, make sure to check out Hivecast. Hivecast.